We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're continuing our series called The Power of Worship. And today we're going to listen to the first part of a message called The Mindset of a Disciple Maker. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Why don't you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The title of the message today is The Mindset of a Disciple Maker. The Mindset of a Disciple Maker. Last week we talked about the heart of a disciple maker. Now we're going to be reading, I'm going to go back to the passage we read yesterday to kind of get a running start. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Paul says, Though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He's talking about winning more people to Jesus Christ. To the Jews, verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. And to those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak, key point, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Then he says in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Now clearly this is the heart of a soul winner, to win lost souls for Jesus Christ, to proclaim the message of the gospel so that others might know. But I'm going to tell you something, the heart of a soul winner must manifest itself in the mindset of a disciple maker. These next four verses we're going to look at today are going to amplify, if you will, how do I become a disciple maker? I have the heart of a disciple maker. I want to see people want to Jesus Christ, but how do I live that out? How do I do that on a day-to-day basis? What is the MO of a disciple maker? Let's begin reading in verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all runners compete? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown, but we an imperishable Now, notice there first at the beginning of verse 24, Paul says, do you not know? Do you not know? Now, this is more than just referring them to a general illustration um, about athletics. Um, I could say, do you not know how you race? And you're like, oh, yeah, I know OSU. They play football. They race. They do all kinds of that stuff. Um, But in this particular area, if you study uh, the archaeology and some of the history of Greece, um, there was a special uh, area right in this around Corinth and they would host what were called the Isthmian Games. And um, there were four great uh, festivals slash athletic events in the Pan-Grecian area, in the area of Greece. And the first one, the most important one, is the one you probably have heard of before, the Olympic Festival. But the second most important of the four were the Isthmian Games. Say that 500 times. Not only did they have a great deal of runners, I found out something very interesting. This game was, these games were so important 
that at a certain season when Corinth and Athens were at war, they actually came up with an agreement so that the Athenian athletes could come through the lines and take part in this festival and these athletic events. So, like, athletics were more important than war. Pretty important. It also provided substantial revenue for the tradespeople, probably some of the believers here in Corinth, uh, and the entrepreneurs. There's even evidence of financial sponsorship. Um, So if you think that modern sports invented sponsorships, like, um, for example, you ever heard this? Uh, Right right now, we're going to have the Verizon Wireless starting lineup at the Ice Cold Pepsi uh, radio network at the uh, Quicken Loans Arena. Sound familiar? Actually, it wasn't invented. It was actually back uh, in Greece. And I'm just waiting for the day. I'm just waiting for the day. Everything's sponsored now, right? I'm just waiting for the day when it's like the Kool-Aid LeBron James got fouled by the, um, you know, the um, Quicken Loans Kobe Bryant, and he's going to go to the Home Depot foul line, you know? Everything's about sponsorships. Well, this goes back to thank Greece for that. The Ithmian Games, another thing that's really important to know, and this actually is where it kind of merges with Scripture, were held every other spring, so every two years. Now, why is that important? Well, uh, this book was written in spring of 55. Uh, Paul himself would have been present when the games took place in spring of 51. So he would have known about this. He might even have gone to some of the events. He might have watched. He might have gotten tickets to watch the races. And so he might be talking from firsthand uh, knowledge. But then if you do the math, if this is written four years later, as he's writing this letter to them, that letter might have arrived right during the games. So he's talking about something that's right on their minds. So when he's talking about competing and racing, and they're definitely dialed in. Well, notice what it says here in Corinthians. Now, how do we apply this to our own lives? It says, do you not know that in a race, all runners compete? And most of us understand that pretty well. But then it says, but only one receives the prize. Then Paul says, so run that you may obtain it. First thing you might be thinking is, well, does that mean we're competing against other believers? Like I thought maybe we could have like this part of the, uh, this row compete against that row. And uh, are you really serious about sharing your faith? We'll find out by next week how many people you've led to the Lord versus how many people you've led to the Lord. And there's a competition here. We'll see who's going to get the prize, okay? Paul is not doing that. That's not on his mind. There's no such thing as the uh, by all means Apostle Paul trophy to the most gospel-centered person. That's not what he's urging people toward. Here's what he's interested in. Paul's not focused. Notice in the last part of verse 24, it says, so run that you may obtain it. Paul's not so concerned about the it, the prize. He's more concerned at this point with run, run. That's the imperative he's interested in. Run that you may obtain it. I want you to think about this. Many Christians are tempted to get into a place where, if all truth be told, we're jogging. We're jogging in the most important race in our lives. How many of you have ever watched a race, especially those like, I don't know, 100-meter ones, where those guys blaze fast? But the intensity and the every second counts, and I cock my legs a certain way so that as soon as that gun goes off, I'm almost moving already. And the intensity of run, run that you may obtain it. Paul's very concerned about the mindset of a disciple maker. Is there focus? Is there urgency? I'm going to talk about the prize later. It's not unimportant. 
But here's the decision for us. Will I live as a disciple? Will I live as a disciple maker with urgency or with no urgency? You must have the mindset of a soul winner. I think so many things in our society, we understand competition. I must, in, I must be good in my job. I must compete um, in my classes. I want to be the top of the line so I get the best job. I want to compete for that girl or that guy. I, want, I compete, I compete, I compete. But when it comes to church, it's just church. It's just the gospel. I'm saved. I'm good. But Paul is saying, listen, you've got to contend for the gospel. There's something going on here that should be a front and center in your life. Do you live your life with urgency? That's the mindset of a, of a disciple maker. And Paul continues in verse 26. He says, so I run. Paul's talking about his own experience here. I'm sorry, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Have you ever noticed somebody? I, I felt stupid about this a couple weeks ago. Our neighbor came over, and I've been doing some exercise. You watch a video. You do all these, you know, it's P90X. I'm actually going to do it this time. I'm two weeks in. Did two things yesterday to catch up. But I, so I'm, I'm doing this thing, and I'm just imagining. He came over, and I was, I was all dressed. And it was late afternoon, and he walks in, and I said, he, um, oh, it's good to see you. And he asked some random question. I said, you know, I wanted to make sure he knew I was doing P90X because I don't want to, you know, he can see in our big window there. And he's probably like, what is that loser pastor over there doing? <laughs> so I explained it to him, right? And Paul's saying, listen, I'm not, I'm not spending my life just beating randomly in the air, you know, just, oh, this feels so good. Paul's saying an athlete contends with focus. And I don't, I'm not doing life randomly. I'm doing it with a purpose. I'm preparing so that moment when I'm in the competition, I'm landing punches in the right place. Or when I'm running, I'm set on the goal. I'm not just like, hey, let's go for a jog. I'm focused on the finish line because I want to finish with the prize. Now, Jensen's cousin put something on a Facebook. I thought this was great. She said one of her daughters has come to the realization that when someone spells something in front of her, it usually involves sugar or something she wants. So she wrote in her Facebook, she said, now she comes up to me and says, Mom, A, B, C, D, Q, R, X, hoping for something good to come. <laughs> Thought that was cute. But I want to think about our own lives for a minute. You know, some of us Christians resemble that little girl. And we're thinking, I, I want some good things to come into my life, so I'm going to randomly, Lord, I'd like that. Or I'm just going to kind of randomly ask for that. And just, we don't have a sense of, this is what I want, this is what God wants for me, and this is what I'm going to do. Are we living randomly? Random application of something that we sort of understand or should fully understand the gospel and hope will come together randomly and will randomly lead to something sweet uh, is confused. Uh, your temptation, random living. I realize that some of you have been accused at times of being a little random. There's nothing wrong with being random in your personality so long as you can you know, harness it at the right time. But I want you to think about this. Let me ask you, if you is your whole a life as a whole, is it random? Would you be described as a random disciple maker? 
Let me give you a list of things. Think about this. Are you random in the way you trust God? Sometimes I trust him. Sometimes I don't. It depends on how much I think he can come through. Or am I random in my prayer, especially for lost believers? How about obedience? Am I random in my witness? Am I just random? Sometimes I live for the Lord, sometimes I don't. Am I random in the amount that I witness? Am I giving glory to the Lord, telling other people about the gospel? Am I random in my participation in a church family? Either random coming to the service, there's an empty seat for you last week and it wasn't filled because you randomly decided not to come to church. Or are you randomly serving? I serve sometimes and sometimes when I don't feel like it, I don't. Are you random in your relationships? Here's one. I randomly come to small group. Or I I randomly, I get out of here as fast as I can because unless randomly somebody pretty cool sits next to me, I really don't want to know them. I live a very random life with random relationships. That's That's not the way it's meant to be. How about random parenting? That's convicting. Am I raising my little disciples to love Jesus Christ in an intentional way or am I just hoping that by the fact they grew up in a, in a Christian family that somehow they'll embrace the gospel and somehow understand that the truth of God's word really is the most important thing in life? It takes a lot of work. You know, Paul's exhorting us to replace random living with purposeful, intentional disciple-making. Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. If you're listening to Meeting with God, you're clearly interested in God's Word. One of the great joys of my life is seeing people grow together in God's Word on a weekly basis. And these messages are a part of our weekend services. If you don't have a church family, let me invite you to join us this weekend. Our church home is located in Columbus near Route 315 and Henderson Road. Details are available at verticalchurch.life. Not beating the air randomly, not but... Let's continue reading. Verse 27. Paul says, But I discipline my body. I don't live randomly, aimlessly, beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I'm going to start with the end of that verse first. Notice that it says, Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's a big question right there. If I don't live for the gospel, does that mean I might not be a believer? I don't know is the answer. That's not really what the text is talking about here. I will tell you something. If you don't have a passion for lost souls, if you don't have a sense of urgency about the gospel, um, that might mean that you don't really understand the gospel. That might mean that you really don't understand what the truth of God is about. I believe in God. Everybody believes in God, don't they? Uh, The answer is no. Well, everybody might believe in some random God, but that's not the God of the universe. And that's certainly not Jesus Christ, who God sent his only son to die for us. Okay, You don't get any points for believing in a random God. In fact, often that confuses people and keeps them away from accepting the gospel. Here's a better understanding of disqualified. It's more in the sense of disqualified because I was not able to pass a test Let me explain here. What it means is that after raising, and this is Paul, after raising the necessity and priority of the gospel, my own life, he's saying, when examined, would be proved inconsistent. 
So after telling people, you need Jesus Christ, um, you need to go reach other people, he's saying, if, what if I'm not doing it? Someday when I'm tested by Jesus Christ, people look at me and go, yeah, you didn't care about yielding your rights. You didn't care about laying your life down for the gospel. You didn't care about suffering. You didn't care about knowing how to share the gospel, let alone actually doing it. You didn't care about being bold with that coworker who's dying and needs, it's empty and needs Jesus Christ. You didn't care. At least some of the time, you were inconsistent in what you did. You did not meet up to the test. Here's the third point. Your tragedy. Your tragedy. Random living, which results in a failed examination. That is a tragedy. Some of you think, oh, you like a Greek tragedy? Um, no, a real tragedy. Like an eternal tragedy. Well, the most tragic thing is to never accept Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today, that is the biggest tragedy. And you are heading for a collision and a very sad ending in eternity if you don't embrace Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't risk it a day. I wouldn't, ri- I wouldn't leave this place without settling that issue. But if you have embraced Jesus Christ by faith, the biggest tragedy for you is to let that awesome message become passe in your life, blasé. Yeah, I've embraced it. I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm living for myself. I don't care about seeing other people embrace the gospel. I'll admit, even in my own life as a pastor's kid growing up, because I didn't quite embrace the gospel the way some of you have, which is a life-changing, altering, everything in my life changed, there's a part of me that I, I need to engage the gospel regularly and in different ways. I'm not saying that I need to come to Jesus Christ. I have done that. But I'm saying sometimes my comprehension of how awesome it is can get bland. You get kind of tapered away, and yeah, it's the gospel. That's why we go to church, right? Right, yeah, yeah. I'm a Christian too. I know that stuff. That should never happen. The greatest tragedy is to lose the awesomeness of the gospel. That, that message shook up the Mediterranean region. It's shaken up every country on the face of the earth with the message of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Failed examination. How many of you have failed an exam? I won't ask. How many of you have failed an examination? I'm going to tell you about an examination that I failed. I feel comfortable sharing it now. Uh, when I moved here to Ohio, um, there's some things you have to do when you move. Some of you know this. I moved here, and they make you change your what? Your driver's license, your license plates, your da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, I was a UPS driver, and I mean, I've taken... I've taken all kinds of exams. I've passed. I have a, you know, I have a commercial driver's license. I mean, I, I thought, okay, we'll go in here. I mean, these laws have got to be the same. Everything's cool. I'm just going to take this exam. I'm not going to study it for it. I'm just going to go in and, get, and just take this exam. Get on to the next thing. I got a million. I mean, I was working like 70, 80, 90 hours a week. So that you wait an hour, an hour and a half, two hours in line forever. You finally get to the front, and they put you in front of the screen. A little thing about the screen is there's a little ticker in the bottom which tells you whether you're making it or not. You have to hit a certain percentage, and it's back and forth. So I was just kind of like, hey, cavalierly got in there. You know, these things, I wasn't even really paying attention as much as I should have because some of the questions, you have to pay attention to, to just logically figure out what the answer is. So I'm just like, bam, 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 bam. And I'm getting close to the end. And I'm like, I'm barely going to make this. And then I got hit with a couple questions I didn't know. And I missed by one question. And I'm going to tell you in that moment where you sit there and you realize, I just failed a driver's test. A lot of thoughts come to your mind really fast. One of which is, are they going to give me my Illinois license back or are they going to take my keys before I leave this place? 
You're from Illinois. Oh, we know people like you. (laughs) Then the thought is, I have to go back in front of 60 or 100 people that are sitting there with nothing else to do but to watch what's going on in front. And I have to tell a very unfriendly person that I've just failed the exam (laughs) by one question. I was tempted to say, you know, I wasn't really paying attention, but that won't help either. You weren't paying attention. Great. Now we're never giving you a license. (laughs) Okay, so the humiliation piece is bad, but then you get up there and you're really sheepishly say, I sort of missed, could I please have my stuff back? And you're like, actually, you say, could I just take it again really quick? Could I just take it again? You know, I mean, I failed. I'm sorry, I failed. Can I take it again? And then this like sort of cold-hearted lady back there, I think they're all cold-hearted there. (laughs) They just look at you and go, I'm sorry, sir, the law is that you have to come back tomorrow and do it. Then your humiliation turns to frustration. You mean because I missed one question, I have to come back tomorrow and sit in line for an hour and a half so that I can retake this test. Oh, and I have to go home and tell my wife that I failed. (laughs) Okay, Um, that is a really bad experience, and I feel comfortable to say it now. I did go back and pass the exam. (laughs) I did study the second time. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay to drive your kids around in student ministry, don't worry. Um, but let me say this about the gospel. When it comes to the test of whether you're passionate about the gospel and whether you have lived your life authentically for the gospel, the stakes are a little bit higher in two ways. One, you're in front of Jesus Christ and your life is laid out and what you believe and what you gave your life to is on all to dis- I mean, more than 60 or 100 people watching. And more importantly than that, you don't get to take the exam again the next day. You don't even have the privilege of waiting in line for an hour and a half to take it. You have what you have. You are what you are. That is why Paul says, I discipline myself so that I will not be disqualified and fail the exam. Sobering. Talking a good gospel is not the same as living and prioritizing the gospel. Paul is saying how tragic if we proclaim the gospel, but we're unwilling to do the necessary things to spread the gospel, to prioritize the gospel, to share the gospel with others, to let it transform our own lives. How tragic, how tragic. Well, the test is, as one commentator said, the test is whether I've been subordinating everything to the gospel. The question that I would have for you is, would your life pass the test of being a committed disciple maker? Would you pass the exam? If all things being told and your life were up on the screen and Jesus Christ were observing your life, would he say, that person is totally sold out for the gospel? I'm not saying you have to become a missionary or a pastor. In fact, perhaps the most important people in this auditorium are the people that are in the workplace day after day, working with difficult people. I texted a guy yesterday, um, five years ago, yesterday, in St. Patty's Day. I'm going to let him to know Jesus Christ. And he was, sent me an email back last night saying how he got in a small group. He's up at Harvest in Chicago, growing in the Lord, passionate about serving. That fires me up. But the question I have in my life is, that's one How about all the other opportunities that I never took advantage of? Am I committed as I ought to be? Here's the question. I'm guessing everybody here needs a little bit more urgency. Amen? Where do you need to have more urgency? 
or more intentionality or more boldness. Notice what Paul said in the beginning of verse 27. He said, I discipline my body and keep it under control. When he says there, I discipline my body and I keep it under control, literally, get this, it means, literally, I give my body a black eye and I make my body a slave. I enslave my body for the sake of the gospel. It's a little more graphic. He's saying, literally, I would punch myself. I would I discipline my body. I beat myself. I do whatever it takes to get myself in a place where I can live for the gospel completely with everything in my life. Your triumph, a disciplined, intentional life dedicated to advancing the gospel. That's your triumph. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. If you missed part of today's message or would like to hear other messages from Pastor Luke Aarons, please visit our archive of Meeting with God radio programs at our website, verticalchurch.life. There you'll find a collection of past messages from God's Word, which you can listen to easily, as well as share with your family and friends. Also on our website, you can learn how to connect with Vertical Church personally if you're in Columbus or leave a prayer request. As always, we hope you'll join us here tomorrow at the very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.